Good morning again. Um, there are a few people here in the church. I'm glad to see it's always easier to speak when there's somebody in front of you. And, and then there are people joining us online. So it's day one of our summer retreat, and we're celebrating it here in the church, so it's possible to come to the church, and it's also possible, of course, to join us online. If you're joining us online, we'd love to hear from you. We're just interested in knowing who's joining in and where you are, so you might drop us an email. Uh, we'll be very happy to hear from you. I'll be preaching today, and Father, Jer Father Lawrence will be preaching tomorrow, and Father Jerry will be preaching on Wednesday. And the programme, of course, is 10 in the morning, and then 11, and then we'll have adoration at 12, and a talk again in the afternoon at 4, and, and the church will be open for, for the 10 o'clock Mass, and we'll stay open then um, right um, through the day. And we're exploring discipleship. What does it mean to be followers of Jesus today? And what I want to do today, this morning, is to look at St. Peter as, he, as a model of discipleship, as he's presented in John's Gospel, first of all, and then as he appears in the later part of the Acts of the Apostles, where the church is struggling with change, and Peter isn't coping very well with all the changes that are going on around him. So I want to begin with um, a quotation from the Cad... Oh, the scripture references that I'm going to use, I'm going to work my way through some stories. At the end of the talk, um, Kevin will put... For those of you who are joining us online, um, Kevin will put um, something up on the screen and you'll be able to jot down the, the references um, if you want um, to do that. So I want to begin um, with a quotation from the Catechism of the Catholic Church. It's, if you want to check the reference, it's 2653 and 2654. The Church forcefully, that's strong language, isn't it? The Church forcefully and specially exhorts all the Christian faithful to learn the surpassing knowledge of Jesus Christ by frequent reading of the divine scriptures. Let them remember, however, that prayer should accompany the reading of the sacred scripture so that a dialogue takes place between God and the individual, for we speak to him when we pray, we listen to him when we read the divine oracles. The spiritual writers paraphrasing Matthew 7, 7, summarize in this way the dispositions of the heart nourished by the word of God in prayer. Seek in reading, and you will find in meditating. Knock in mental prayer, and it will be opened to you in contemplation. So we're invited to an encounter with Jesus in the word. We're invited to dialogue so that we speak and, and we listen. And then that little quotation there is actually from Guido the Carthusian, who was a spiritual writer in the Middle Ages. Um, it makes its way into the Catechism. Seek in reading, and you will find in meditating. Knock in mental prayer, and it will be open to you in contemplation. So there's a little pattern there then of reading, meditating, mental prayer, and then um, contemplation. So what I want to do is to make my way through some stories about St. Peter. So some of them I'll read. And um, I thought I'd forgotten my notes. Panic ended. Um, and again, of course, to quote the rabbis from the time of Jesus, how every story has at least 
77 levels of meaning, how the preacher can help us, the teacher can help us to find one of those levels, and then it's up to us um, to discover um, the other meanings for ourselves. And as I said earlier, and as you know from your own experience, the meanings change. The meanings change as our lives change, and the same story can say different things to different people and different things to us at different stages um, in our lives. So this is from the first chapter of John. It's um, beginning at the 35th verse. And as I say, if you're following us online, these references will go up on the screen um, as I finish. The next day, John again was standing with two of his disciples. And as he watched Jesus walk by, he exclaimed, look, here is the Lamb of God. The two disciples heard him say this, and they followed Jesus. When Jesus turned and saw them following, he said to them, What are you looking for? They said to him, Rabbi, which translation means teacher, where are you staying? He said to them, Come and see. They came and saw where he was staying, and they remained with him that day. It was about four o'clock in the afternoon. One of the two who heard John speak and followed him was Andrew, Simon, Peter's brother. He first found his brother Simon and said to him, We have found the Messiah, which is translated anointed. He brought Simon to Jesus, who looked at him and said, You are Simon, son of John. You are to be called Cephas, which is translated um, Peter. The stories tell us a story about the past. Obviously, this is about the call of Andrew and Peter and the others but they also tell us our own story. So Pope Gregory the Great in one of his sermons said that the Gospels are like a mirror. Uh, we look into the mirror, we look into the story, and we see our own story reflected back to us. So this is a story about call. What are you looking for? Come and see. So it was the call, as I say, of, of Peter, and Andrew and the others, but it sort of resonates um, with our own call as well. And we will have, as priests, as religious, as lay people, as single people, as married people, we'll have heard the call in different ways at different stages in our lives. The great Protestant theologian Karl Barth said that the decision of faith is never final. It must be renewed in every fresh situation. That the decision of faith is never final it must be renewed in every fresh situation. And I think when we look at our the stories of our call, the stories of our invitation to follow Jesus, we will be moved to gratitude. We'll be invited to renew our commitment to following Jesus. And I think there'll always be an element of repentance because we fall short. I suppose that's what sin is. Sin is about um, falling short, uh, missing the point. In the opening chapters of the book of Revelations, there are letters to the churches. And one of those letters, one of those messages is a message to the church at Ephesus. Now, the translation that I remember, and this is embedded in my mind over the years, the translation that I remember goes like this, but it will be differently translated um, in different Bibles. The translation I have memorized many years ago says, Remember your first love. Remember your first love. 
Look to the heights from which you have fallen. Repent and do again what you did at the beginning. So remember your first love. Look to the heights from which you have fallen. Repent and do again what you did in the beginning. So recapture the first love, the energy, the, the enthusiasm that was involved in that. Um, not so easy as we get older, but try to recapture it, try to re-enter the experience, remembering, of course, the quotation from Karl Barth, that the decision of faith is never final, that it must be renewed in every fresh situation. So I want to jump then to another passage in um, John's Gospel. This time I want to jump to chapter 6, and the passage begins at verse 60, and as I say, um, these texts will go up on the screen at the end of the talk. Um, this is a difficult time in the life of the community of the followers of Jesus. Um, people are finding the teaching about Eucharist particularly difficult. And some people just can't accept the teaching on Eucharist and they leave, they walk away. And it's always distressing when people leave our company. It's always distressing when people who walked with us um, no longer um, walk with us. And I think this is a story that will resonate for many of us because the times we're living in, um, in our communities, in our families, um, people who walked with us um, don't walk with us any longer. So it's chapter 6 and it's beginning at verse 60. When many of his disciples heard it, they said, this teaching is difficult, who can accept it? And today, of course, it might be moral teaching that people struggle with rather than teaching about the, about the Eucharist, but that can be troubling for people as well. This teaching is difficult, who can accept it? But Jesus, being aware that his disciples were complaining about it, said to them, does this offend you? Then what if you were to see the Son of Man ascending to where he was before? It is the Spirit that gives life, the flesh is useless. The words that I have spoken to you are spirit and life. But among you there are some who do not believe. For Jesus knew from the first who were the ones that did not believe and who was the one that would betray him. And he said, For this reason I have told you that no one can come to me unless it is granted by the Father. Because of this, many of his disciples turned back and no longer went about with him. So Jesus asked the twelve, Do you also wish to go away? Jesus was a great man for asking questions. Earlier he was asking, What are you looking for? And now he's asking, Do you also want to go away? And Peter replies, Lord, to whom can we go? You have the words of eternal life. We have come to believe and know that you are the Holy One of God. Jesus answered them, Did I not choose you, the twelve? Yet one of you is a devil. He was speaking of Judas, son of Simon Iscariot, for he, the one of the twelve, was going to betray Jesus. So the response of Peter there, Peter's act of faith, Lord, to whom can we go? You have the words of eternal life. We've come to believe and know that you are the Holy One of God. So first of all, there's the relationship. Lord, to whom shall we go? Then you have the words of life, 
and then, of course, the, 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 the proclamation of, of, of faith in Jesus. And if we go to chapter 13, and I won't read the full chapter 13 for you, but it's the foot-washing chapter. And um, again, um, it's interesting, of course, if we look at Matthew, Mark, and Luke, we have accounts of the Last Supper, and there's no account of the Last Supper in John's Gospel. What we have in John's Gospel is the foot-washing. And John's was the last of the Gospel to be written, the fourth Gospel, as it's called. It was the last of the Gospels to be written, well after the other three. And some scholars suggest that the reason why John dropped the Last Supper and replaced it with the foot washing is that communities had already been celebrating Eucharist, but had lost the connection between Eucharist and service. That Eucharist had become what we might call an empty ritual for them, that it was divorced from life. And we see that, of course, in Paul's letter to the Corinthians, where the Corinthians are behaving very badly at, 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 at Eucharist. So John, then, the author of the fourth gospel, tells us this foot-washing story because he wants to remind us, he's not just reminding those who were there at the time, he's reminding us as well, that Eucharist needs to be linked with life, that Eucharist needs to be linked with service and to put us on our guard um, against um, empty um, ritual. But Peter, Peter misunderstands Jesus. Um, he doesn't quite know what Jesus is on about in this story, um, and he, 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 he objects. He came, Jesus came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? Jesus answered, you do not know now what I am doing, but later you will understand. Peter said to him, you will never wash my feet. One of the things I like about Peter is his impetuosity. He just goes rushing at things. He doesn't always understand, seriously misunderstands at times, doesn't quite know what Jesus is about, but keeps on following. And, um, and, and, and we have an example of this here. So you will never wash my feet. Jesus answered, unless I wash you, you have no share with me. And then, of course, the impetuous Peter replies, Simon Peter said to him, Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. Jesus said to him, one who has bathed does not need to wash except for the feet. And we have to remember, these were dirty, stinking feet. The apostles were either barefoot or wore sandals, and the streets of Jerusalem would have been absolutely filthy at the time. So we're inclined to think of this maybe as the ritual version of it that we do on Holy Thursday, but in reality it, it was a dirty um, piece of work that Jesus undertook. It would normally have been done um, by a slave or by a, a servant um, if you were actually visiting the house. So after he had washed their feet, had put on his robe, and had returned to the table, Jesus said to them, Do you know what I have done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, for that is what I am. So if I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash um, one another's um, feet. So it brings us to the heart of the message of Jesus. Then if we continue on and we come to chapter 18, and I do recommend that you find time 
uh, maybe over the summer to read these chapters for yourself. In chapter 18, we find Peter resorting to violence. This is a man who spent three years with Jesus, listening to Jesus, watching Jesus, absorbing the message of Jesus, and yet in a time of crisis, he falls back on the old Peter, draws out his sword and, 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 and attacks a man. And this also, of course, is the chapter in which um, Peter betrays Jesus. So there are stories about Peter, but remembering Pope Gregory's image of the mirror, we look in and we see our own story um, reflected back to us. So we think of all the ways in which we misunderstand Jesus, all the ways in which we fall back on our old selves, as it were, uh, miss the point, miss the mark, fall short. Think of all the ways, maybe not as dramatic as Peter's betrayal, but think of all the ways in which we betray Jesus and all the ways in which we um, deny Jesus. And then, of course, we come to the end of John's Gospel and we come to chapter 20 and Mary of Magdala, and we'll do a little um, reflection about Mary of Magdala and some other women um, in the afternoon. Uh, Mary of Magdala becomes the first witness to the resurrection, and she's the one who goes and tells um, Peter and the others um, about it. And then Peter gives up and goes back fishing. I mean, he left the nets to follow Jesus, and now it looks as if he's turning his back on Jesus and, and, and going back um, to where um, they were at the beginning. So it's in chapter 21 of, of John's Gospel and, 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 and where we have Peter called again. So it's a story about Peter, but it's also our story. So it's about our being called endlessly um, by Jesus. After these things, Jesus showed himself again to the disciples by the Sea of Tiberias, and he showed himself in this way. Gathered there together were Simon Peter called Thomas, sorry, gathered there together were Simon Peter, Thomas called the twin, Nathaniel of Cana in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two others of his disciples. Simon Peter said to them, I am going fishing. So he's going back to what he had been doing before he met Jesus. So they said to him, and this, remember, is after the resurrection. So they've heard stories of the resurrection. And it's interesting when we read the end chapters of the four Gospels, they're believing and they're not believing, they're believing and they're half-believing. Um, it wasn't a kind of easy um, time um, for the followers of Jesus. So I'm going back fishing. They said to him, we will go with you. They went out and got into the boat, but that night they caught nothing. Just after daybreak, Jesus stood on the beach, but the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to them, Children, you, you have no fish, have you? They answered him, No. He said to them, Cast the net to the right side of the boat, and you will find some. So they cast it, and now they were not able to haul it in because there were so many fish. That disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, It is the Lord. When Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on some clothes, for he was naked, and jumped into the lake. So again, the, the impetuosity of, of, of Peter. But the other disciples came in the boat, dragging the net full of fish, for they were not far from the land, only about a hundred yards off. 
When they had gone ashore, they saw a charcoal fire there with fish on it and bread. Jesus said to them, Bring some of the fish that you have just caught. So Simon Peter went aboard and hauled the net ashore full of large fish, 153 of them, and there there were so many the net was not torn. Jesus said to them, Come and have breakfast. In the beginning, you'll remember in chapter 1, he says, Come and see. Now, come and have breakfast. So the invitation is being extended again. Now, none of the disciples dared to ask him, Who are you? Because they knew it was the Lord. Jesus came and took the bread and gave it to them and did the same with the fish. This was now the third time that Jesus appeared to the disciples after he was raised from the dead. When they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said to him, feed my lambs. A second time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said to him, tend my sheep. He said to him the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter felt hurt. I love these little um, human touches um, that make their way into the story in the courtyard of the high priest when Jesus was being um, condemned and Peter is warming himself at at the fire. I think it's so easy for us to identify with these little um, human um, experiences. So Peter felt hurt because he said to him the third time, do you love him? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. Very truly, I tell you, when you were younger, you used to fasten your own belt and go wherever you wished. But when you grow old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will fasten a belt around you and take you where you do not wish to go. He said this to indicate the kind of death by which Peter would glorify God. After this, he said to him, follow me. So the story begins, follow me. The story ends, um, follow me. And and that's our call. And scholars say, and this is an interesting point, I think, that Peter denied Jesus three times. So this recall of Jesus is structured around the three denials, three denials, um, three invitations. Do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? And the question there, of course, is, is an interesting question, and it's a question that Jesus puts to us. Um, do you love me? Because discipleship is about being in relationship with Jesus. It's about loving Jesus. And ministry, for those of us who are involved in ministry, has to be um, rooted in discipleship, and it has to be rooted in love. Um, St. Augustine, and I quoted him this morning, was preaching to the clergy in, in, in his diocese in North Africa, and he warned them about the danger of becoming empty preachers of the word. That we become empty preachers of the word if we're not allowing the word speak to our hearts. Pope Francis said in one of his talks that we can know the Bible inside out. We can quote it backwards and forwards, but it won't do us any good if we're not in relationship with Jesus. It won't do us any good, Pope Francis says, unless we're there, unless we're present. So being there, being with Jesus, and being present to Jesus. And just very briefly, more for suggested reading now than for anything that I'm going um, to delve into. 
I'd recommend that people might, at some stage over the summer, read chapters 9 and 10 and 15 of the Acts of the Apostles. Because there we see Peter and the early church coping with change. The great change facing them was um, the moving of the Christian message from its Jewish origins to a rather larger Gentile world. So what was essential, what needed to be kept, and what could be let go of? And of course, some of the followers of Jesus, the more conservative among them, the, the more traditional, wanted to hold on to everything Jewish, they, including circumcision. So they almost wanted to insist that people become Jews before they become Christians. And that was the kind of hard line, as it were, at the time, the, the more conservative and the more traditional line. But it was obviously something that, that wasn't practical and that wasn't going to work. And, and Paul pushes very, very strongly against it. And the church, with difficulty, negotiates its way through this period of change. Um, chapter 15 of Acts is, is especially um, interesting because it's what we call um, the, the Council of Jerusalem and it shows us how the early church worked. And Pope Francis talks about synodality, about making decisions together. And here in chapter 15 of the Acts of the Apostles, we see the community making decisions together. And there's give and take, and there's argument, and there's compromise, and not everybody's happy with the outcome, but the outcome is, is generally um, accepted um, in, the, in the community. And where we get, of course, a very critical reading of Peter's involvement um, in this whole movement towards change is in the letter to the Galatians. And this, of course, is Paul um, giving his version of the story because he's the one who went to the Gentiles. He's the one who pushed out the boat, as it were, who widened um, the, 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 the frontiers and others are playing um, catch up um, with Peter all the time. So if you were to look at the letter to the Galatians, if you were to look at chapter 1 and go to verse 18, you'd hear Paul saying, Then after three years I did go up to Jerusalem to visit Cephas, that's Peter, and stayed with him for 15 days. But I did not see any other apostle except James, the Lord's brother. In what I am writing to you before God, I do not lie. Then I went into the regions of Syria and Cilicia, and I was still unknown by sight to the churches of Judea that are in Christ. They only heard it said, the one who formerly was persecuting us is now proclaiming the faith he once tried to destroy, and they glorified God um, because of me. And then in chapter 2, um, he describes the, the conflict, um, the conflict with Peter especially, and he gives his version of what happened at Jerusalem um, during that council that's described in chapter 15 of the Acts of the Apostles. Then after 14 years, so it's a long time, I went up again to Jerusalem with Barnabas, taking Titus along with me. I went up in response to a revelation. Then I laid before them, though only in a private meeting with the acknowledged leaders, the gospel that I proclaim among the Gentiles in order to make sure that I was not running or had not run in vain. So he wants to test what he's doing with, with, with the wisdom and the experience of others. 
but even Titus, who was with me, was not compelled to be circumcised, though he was Greek. But because the false believers secretly brought in, who slipped in to spy on the freedom we have in Christ Jesus, so that they might enslave us, we did not submit to them even for a moment, so that the truth of the gospel might always remain with you. And from those who were supposed to be acknowledged leaders, the language is rather sharp, isn't it? So we shouldn't be fearful, I think, or too anxious when there's disagreement and, and conflict and even sharp disagreement and sharp conflict in the church. It's been part of the story um, from the very beginning. And from those who were supposed to be acknowledged leaders, what they actually were makes no difference to me. God shows no partiality. Those leaders contributed nothing to me. On the contrary, when they saw that I had been entrusted with the gospel for the uncircumcised, just as Peter had been entrusted with the gospel for the circumcised, for he who worked through Peter, making him an apostle to the circumcised, also worked through me in sending me to the Gentiles. And when James and Cephas and John, who were acknowledged pillars, recognized the grace that had been given to me, they gave to Barnabas and me the right hand of fellowship, agreeing that we should go to the Gentiles and they to the, to the circumcised. They asked only one thing, that we remember the poor, which actually what I was eager to do. So they trashed it out, they had their disagreements, the language was sharp at times, and then later on, of course, and we'd continue on reading in Galatians um, how Peter backtracks. Um, the same old Peter, really, that we meet in John's Gospel. Um, he backtracks when he's put under pressure. But when P Cephas, Peter, came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face because he stood self-condemned for until certain people came from James. James is the leader of the hardline party. I saw once an article which said there were three parties in the church. There was the no-go, which was led by James. Nothing will change. There was the go slow, which was led by Peter. We'll change, but we'll change slowly. And then there was the go-go, which was led by Paul. All action all change um, as quickly as possible. So there were tensions between James and Peter and Paul because they adopted different positions in regard to the major decisions that had to be made by the community as it broke out of its Jewish world. For until certain people came from James, he used to eat with the Gentiles. And we see that, of course, um, in the Acts of the Apostles. But after they came, he drew back and kept himself separate for fear of the circumcision faction. And the other Jews joined him in this hypocrisy, so that even Barnabas was led astray by, this, by their hypocrisy. But when I saw that they were not acting consistently with the truth of the gospel, I said to Cephas, Peter, before them all, if you, though a Jew, live like a Gentile and not like a Jew, how can you compel the Gentiles to live like Jesus? So the stories are, as I say, stories about what happened at the time, but there are stories as well. Not just our personal stories, but the stories of the church in our time. So remembering that image of Pope Gregory, that the Gospels are like mirrors, the Scriptures are like mirrors, we look into them and we see our own um, story uh, reflected back to us. But we're asked to engage prayerfully, kind of slowly, perseveringly, to stick at it. And stick at um, isn't easy, 
perseverance isn't easy. It seems so familiar, but the more we stick at it, the more persevere, the more we'll delve into the depths of meaning, the more Jesus in the scripture will speak to our hearts. So thank you for joining us. And we'll have adoration at 12 for an hour. We'll have a talk again at 4. And if you're following us anywhere around the world, and we'd love um, to hear from you. So thank you very much indeed.